Hey folks, thanks for tuning in again, or for the first time, to my silly little podcast, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I ferret through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and take a light-hearted, positive, fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless, set theme every episode, and I sometimes highlight some rock and roll bed shits just for some fun. It's really just an attempt to archive some stories, old YouTube interviews and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of laid-back, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some music or some merch or listen to an old favourite album and check out all this amazing shit that I adore which has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think if I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at thisisnotarealemailaddress at gofeckyegoodself.cockgoblin.com. That's cock spelt with two Ks, and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast or via the website a rock and roll rabbit hole.com that's com spelt with a c the website also has spotify playlist of all the songs used in each episode past episodes as well and some other golden magic and i also have some small playlists of the great lesser known artists that i like to highlight at the end of each episode on the victims tab of the website Please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast. If you are digging it, that's super helpful and genuinely appreciated. Thanks again. Apologies in advance and here goes. Rum makes a gin a bum and you cash in before your time. Yeah. Bootleg gin puts you in a spin till you don't even know your name. Yeah. You're a basket case flat on your face and there's only one guy to blame. Mr. Beatles, 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 Thanks as always for listening and if this is your first time, I would check out last week's episode part one first. Or not, it probably doesn't really matter. And tomorrow, as I record this, Melbourne, where I live, is finally out of lockdown after a total of 262 days spread out over six lockdowns with stupid 9pm curfew, 5 and 10 kilometre travel restrictions from your house. And we overtook Buenos Aires as the most lockdown city as they have done 234 days, despite them having 5.2 million cases and 116,000 deaths and Melbourne having 130,000 cases and 1,448 unfortunate deaths. Bit of a shotgun to swat a fly, but anyway, we're out and about and look out. And as a professional musician, it's been a pretty tough year, but I do appreciate everyone listening, and I really do enjoy all the messages I get from everyone from all over the place. Tusen takk. Så hyggelig av deg. A lot of my close friends are on either side of the live music scene here with either original projects or making some coin out of function and cover bands, or both. Some of them are even sax players who I hope haven't heard this podcast. A lot of them are singing teachers who probably run choirs who I hope have heard this podcast, because fuck you all. But anyway, if you're out and about, check out a gig or buy some merch or support a small record store with a purchase or two. I actually have a rehearsal for a new original band tomorrow night that I'm looking forward to. And I hope no matter where you are, even if you are in Norway, I hope your world is back to normal soon and live music comes back stronger than ever. So before we get into part two of the booze episode, let's quickly recap what we heard last week. Recapping the magic. She keeps On its breath. I'm just a drunk in a band. Musicians appear. Free drinks at the door. The bachelors phone up their friends for a drink while the That's how it's happened, living life by the drop. I can't quit drinking. 
or Chinese? Chinese. Frank Boyce, that is. <laughs> <laughs> if you like pina coladas, she's wine I like wine. In a champagne supernova in the sky. In With a bottle, that's the way it is. He says, body's too old for working. His body's too young to look like him. You can get it working a plow. Matter of fact, I got it now. I do drunk the fuck. I do drunk the fuck. So I was digging for songs with any kind of booze reference. And the song I'm talking over is Too Drunk to Fuck by the Dead Kennedys. So let's start part two with one of my favourite Melbourne bands with a song with a similar title. Too Drunk to Drive by Body Jar with Adelita from Magic Dirt. And rum mentioning Aussie classic is the debut single and cool bass-lined introed magic of The Nips Are Getting Bigger by Mental As Anything, which is possibly a song title and a band name that may not fly these days with the folks who get triggered for others by putting letters in a specific order.
huge song that mentions gin and beer and is also sort of a debut single, as it was at least Billy Joel's debut single in the US, where it went to number 25. And it's still probably his best-known song. And here's Billy talking about the characters in the song and his name. Um, one of my favourite songs is Piano Man, and I was wondering what exactly the story is behind all of the lyrics, even though it's somewhat self-explanatory. Okay. <laughs> all of the characters in that song actually were real people. John at the bar was this guy named John, and he... And he was at the bar. There was... Davy was in the Navy. And probably still is, you know. And let's see, the waitress is practicing... The waitress is actually my first ex-wife. Well, I have to get used to first ex-wife and second ex-wife now. It's a new thing. But, um... Let's not even get into that. Okay. So, she was a cocktail waitress while I was... Uh, playing the piano at this place for a while. And uh, let's see, what else happened in that song? And the waitress prank things. As the businessmen stole, they get, businessmen actually got stoned in the place. They're sharing a drink, they call it better than drinking alone. Right, okay. A real estate novelist. Okay, good question. Paul is a real estate novelist. Paul was this guy who was a real estate broker, but he was writing the great American novel. And Paul was always saying, I'm, gonna, I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book. I'm writing the great American novel. Uh, you know, Paul, what do you do, like, you know, normally? Real estate. So that's a real estate novelist. Explains that. Let's see, what else? It's nine o'clock on a Saturday, okay. Regular, regular crowd shuffles in, old man sitting next to me, making love to his tonic agenda. Okay, a little, little bit of poetic license there. <coughs> Wasn't really making love to his tonic agenda because that could be pretty gross, actually. <coughs> he says, son, can you play me memory? I'm not really sure what goes. And a sweet, you know, complete uh, younger man's clothes. Okay, he didn't rhyme, actually, when he, when he said it. But he essentially asked me, you know, can you sing an old song? Oh, la da 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 la da 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 Self-explanatory. Sing a song, piano man, sing a song. Okay. Now, John, the bar's friend of mine, gets me my drinks for free. True. Free drinks. The gigs suck, but free drinks, hey, you know. Uh, and he's quick with a joke. He was quick, he was, he was always telling joke. Light up your smoke, I used to smoke. Uh, Los Angeles was really where everything was happening in the music business in the early 70s. And I got a job playing the piano. I used my middle name, Martin. My real name is William Martin Joel. That's my full name, Billy Joel, William Martin Joel. People think I made the name Billy Joel up, which kind of, you know, well, I would come up with something better than that if I was going to make a name up. You know, uh, William, I can't become William Joel. William is William Joel. Uh, but Bill, you know, I, like I'm 45 now. I'm not Billy anymore. I don't feel like a Billy. I feel like a Bill. Billy is like a kid's name, but Bill Joel is sort of, is very short. Bill Joel, like a doorbell, you know. <laughs> Bill Joel. Um, so I'm stuck with Billy Joel, but my middle name was Martin, so I became Bill Martin. Bill Martin of the keyboards, right? That's it. I did this gig for six months, and people would come up to me and go, you're too good for this place. What are you doing here? Why don't you, I can get you a record deal, because everybody in Hollywood is, is an entrepreneur. They go, I can get you a deal. I can hook you up with a producer. I know a producer. Everybody in, in, in Los Angeles is a producer. I don't really know what a producer is. I, I thought it was somebody who produces. But produces what, you know? 
In Hollywood, they produce producing, you know. Um, you know, I produce sweat, really. I mean, we're all producers. Uh, we produce bodily byproducts. You know, we're all producers. So, uh, and they would say, what are you doing here? Man, what are you doing here? And I would say, oh, no, I love it here. I, I hate the music business. I don't want I want to be here. I was lying through my teeth, but I really didn't want to deal with another shyster. Essentially, was what was going on. So, it was a true story. Um, and I thought, as I was playing in this gig, I said, I've got to write a song about this. I said, nobody's going to believe this. I've got to write a song about this. And essentially, that's where the idea came from. So, a very long answer to a very short question. together or was it like you know uh, did it take a long time to figure out how to do that well I, I had always admired um, the B side of the album Abbey Road which was essentially a bunch of individual songs that were strung together by George Martin I think what happened was the Beatles came in and they didn't have completely finished songs or wholly fleshed out ideas and George said what do you got John said, well, I got this, and Paul said, well, I got that, and they all sat around and went, hmm, well, we can put this together with that, that'll fit in there. And that's pretty much what I did with Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. I had this initial uh, ballad of Brenda and Eddie, so it was, this was about the high school prom, king and queen, you know, sweethearts who break up and, and they go on with their lives. And I said, okay, well, that's not the whole story. We have to get to them. You can't just just can't just be there. There has to be some kind of time sequence. So I started with the premise of uh, a bottle of red, a bottle of white, set up a scene where there's people sitting in an Italian restaurant talking about, starting to talk about the old days. And then the second section of that is when the sax comes in, which is supposed to represent a time change. And Mike Myers would go, which is that what's supposed to be, you know, January, February, 1975, 1972, 1971, going back in time. And that seemed like the natural place to go with an instrumental piece. Let's, let's have something that refers to a change of time. And then it, I put it into this, um, uh, this place where it's, um, things are okay with me these days. 
he, he's remember those days hanging out at the village green. He starts referring back to, to the past, and then it goes into the ballad of Brenda and Eddie from there. So we realize this is kind of like trying to recreate side B of Abbey Road, except not as long, just in a shorter version. Not that I'm saying we were we would ever think that we could do something as good as that, but it, we we knew what the technique was. A bottle of white. Bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rose instead. Get a table near the street in our old familiar place. You and I face to face. A bottle of red, a bottle of white. It all depends upon your appetite I'll meet you anytime you want In our Italian restaurant So three Kings of Leon songs jumped into my mind, and one's one of my favourites, and it mentions drinking for two. And the song was released as a single and was written about Kings of Leon bass player and youngest member of the band, Jared Followell, who was 18 at the time. And in the music video, the song was censored due to the line, you kick the bucket, I'll swing my legs. The Bucket by Kings of Leon. I'll be the one to show you the way You'll be the one to always complain Being the money stories and we're you know like four kicks that we had a meaning to that you know and all this stuff but like milk it was like I was just writing about a girl that I had just broken up with and every word was completely honest as a matter of fact we were in the car driving from reunion while I was sitting there writing lyrics and me and Jared were talking back and forth and our dad was riding with us and he kept making jokes and it got to the point where I was almost like hey we're being serious. We have to really write these lyrics. By the end of it, you're sitting there going, there's no way in hell they're making that a B-side. Because you end up, everything that's pent up, everything that you didn't say, and everything that you know is, is building from that, you know, it ends up coming out and it ends up in a way almost being more pure than a lot of the other stuff that was on the record. So Stay 
for me Stay for me We drank wine in the matinee And the spotlight show what I chased away Stay for me My coma over her hourglass body She had problems with drinking milk and being school tardy She'll loan you her toothbrush She'll bought in your party So I popped that song Milk in for its mention of a bartender And the Kings of Leon song Revelry was the third one Which mentions drinking Dancing machine With the fire in my bones And the sweet taste of kerosene I get lost in the light so high I don't want to come down To face the loss of the good thing that I found Dark of the night, I can hear you calling my name. With the hardest of hearts, I still feel full of pain. So I drink and I smoke, and I ask you if you're ever around. Even though it was me who drove us right in the ground. See, the time we shared, it was precious. So a couple of minutes ago, Billy Joel was speaking of the Abbey Road medley and a Beatles song that was originally placed in between Mean Mr Mustard and Polythene Pam is also a wine-mentioning song. But Paul, who is the song's author, didn't like it, so he cut it out. The missing chord at the end can actually be heard at the start of Polythene Pam and the first chord is the last chord of Mean Mr Mustard. And here's Her Majesty in full as it's the shortest Beatles song at 23 seconds. And then I'll reconstruct the medley so you can hear how it was meant to be. And this is probably boring as batshit if you aren't an Abbey Road fan, but I love nerdy shit like this. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Majesty's a pretty nice girl Someday I'm gonna make a mine Oh yeah Someday I'm gonna make a mine And here's how Her Majesty would have sounded in the middle of the medley Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl But she doesn't have a lot to say Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl But she changes from day to day I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. My majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine, oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Another song that mentions wine, also brandy and whiskey, was first released in 1981, but I heard it through Chris Stapleton, such a great voice. Tennessee Whiskey.
that was in episode six's F-bombs for the line, the band were a fucking wank and I'm not having a nice time. But it also has a great cocaine actor line after mentioning white wine, fake tales of San Francisco by the Arctic Monkeys. One more quick song from the same album, and it featured in episode five's Mexican Flags, but it also mentions a specific branded drink in red light indicates doors were secured. get a Motley Crue song in here but it was actually a little bit harder than I thought but I dug deep and I actually found four alcohol mentions. A gin mention in my favourite Motley Crue song Danger. I always thought it said tears and beers, but it actually says tears and fears here. And on Theatre of Pain's Raise Your Hands to Rock, Vince sings Sometimes Maybe I Drink Too Much. Song off Girls, 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 Something for Nothing mentions Dubonnet on the Rocks. Last Motley Crue song is a whiskey mentioning song 
And here's Nikki Six talking about the beer mentioning song that inspired it musically. Oh, City Boy Blues, that's obviously an uh, influence from Last Child from off a of rock sound by Aerosmith. So I paint a screen of whiskey, jump into the saddle with you, you, you. And I just can't seem to break the shackles of the swimming bottle. Like I'm a City Boy Blues. Like I'm a City Boy Blues. I got a City Boy Blues. Here's a bit of Aerosmith's beer mentioning Last Child that also has a line from another huge song from Motley Crue's Theatre of Pain record, Home Sweet Home. definitely thinking about doing a Motley Crue episode of their 80s albums. Eight years they released five albums that I love and know back to front and I think Nicky Six is an underrated lyric writer and Mick Mars is a great guitar player. We'll just see if I've got any spare time after lockdown finishes this week. A couple of wine and women mentioning songs and one is one that I missed in the laughing episode a couple of weeks ago. Second of the wine and women mentioning songs is hidden in the ad libs on the fade out outro of this ACDC classic. There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs One of the biggest songs ever mentions whiskey. So bye bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing this old. Just some numbers on American Pie. It was released in October 1971, exactly 50 years ago. And it went to number one in Australia, Canada, the US for four weeks. New Zealand and went to number two in UK and number nine in Norway. Poor Bian. The handwritten lyrics were auctioned off in 2015 for $1.2 million. The song American Pie was also off an album called American Pie, which went to number one in America and Australia, and I'm not sure how it went in Norway. 
Don, you and I, you and I have something in common. We share an incredible, intense love for the man and the music that is Buddy Holly, and it was the inspiration for American Pie. Tell it. Let's start this off in a Buddy mood. How did? How do you feel about Buddy Holly? The effect he had on you. Well, the interesting thing uh, is that he had a a powerful effect on me uh, in my heart. There was something about him that uh, that connected me to him, and uh, when he died, I was really heartbroken. And uh, by this time, it was 1959. You know, a lot of kids uh, had sort of forgotten about him. He wasn't number one anymore. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, and I never forgot. Uh, what happened, you know, I would think about it from time to time, listen to his records. The records would give me this strange feeling, and I don't know quite how to describe it. And, you know, then I haven't heard his records for a while. Recently, I went back and started listening to the albums again, did the same thing all over again. Mm -hmm. Same thing. The old feeling came back, uh, you know, like an just like a time capsule brought me back to to that feeling and I kept that with me for a long time and uh I you know I, I was doing many different things and a lot of years passed by and I, I had it on my mind that I wanted to try to write a, a big song about America and but a different one out of this land is your land or uh you know uh, many of those kind of songs, right. a whole different kind of thing. And uh, the, the, the beginning part of the verse came to me one day, and completely as I sing it, uh, without you know any changes, and I thought, whoa, what's that? You know, I had this thing. And mm -hmm. uh, so it inspired me. Over a period of months, I would think about it, and uh, I began to put together the idea for this big song, and then we made a good record of it, and we got lucky. It's, did you spend the entire, uh, you know, how many years did it take you to put together? And also, were you worried that it was going to be too long and the record company would never release it? Well, it took three months for me to do it, but it took, you know, probably from 1959 until 1969 to, to live think it. about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I do things like that. You know, I'll, I'll think about something for a long time before I write something using that idea. I'm not, I'm not what you'd call quick. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in this case, it was important. And when I wrote that first part of the song, you know, I knew that I had something really good, and I didn't want to rush it. So it took about three months, and um, of course, when the record was made. Uh, it, was, it was like one of those things. Sometimes, you know, you have an idea for a song and it jumps uh -huh. out and sometimes it just lays there, man, and you <laughs> can't make it happen, you know? And uh, it's, you, you, you don't, you just, you didn't hear it right or they don't play it right or whatever it is, but you, you don't get it. And the thing about it is when you're a singer and a songwriter, mm -hmm. uh, like we were, you didn't have what Sinatra had, you know, he was, here's a great singer, you have a great arranger, you have great songwriters, you have great engineers, you go to Capitol Records, you, you have a session, you know you've got all these songs, these arrangements, man, and you just go and, and swing. You right. Know? Uh -huh. with, with a guy like me, i got to invent all this stuff. <laughs> Nobody's ever heard it before. And i got to teach him how to play it. Right. You know, so I get into a lot of uh, arguments with people. Mm -hmm. you know, about how it's got to be um, until I get what I want. And a lot of times, like I say, I don't always get what I want. Now, the uh, time I was lucky, I did, you know. Sure. And the, the interpretations, uh, Bob Dylan is the jester. Elvis is the king. Were you thinking historically as you were putting this all together about writing this period piece? Or did they all kind of fit in later after it all, after it was I all was finished? Having, I was having a game, a ball. I was making fun of stuff. I was. You were. It uh, sounds it. <laughs> I was serious about things. I was uh, trying to create my own little history, kind of a rock dream. Um, and there were sometimes three or four people embodied in one 
sentence. It was just a, you know, a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing it. I had something, uh, a hold of something that, uh, that I personally was getting a kick out of fooling around with, but I had no idea that it would work. And when I got the thing out and it went on the radio, I remember Travis, I met Travis Holly, who was Buddy Holly's brother. Right. Tall, lean, Texan, you know, and he was probably in his late 50s. I guess he's passed away now. Very nice guy. And he came up to me and he, he said to me, when I heard that song, I pulled the car over and jumped for joy. It's somehow he knew wow. that I was talking about his brother. And he knew that this whole song was and that's what happened a lot of people kind of remember where they were when they first heard it that kind of thing how about that and uh, and it did it it ended up doing so much stuff because it brought buddy holly back and it brought oldies back you know really a lot of uh people had sort of abandoned all that music by 1970 you know there was the singer songwriter thing and of course mm -hmm. the beatles and the stones and dylan had done so much masterful work in the 60s and people weren't listening to the Everly Brothers or Fats Domino and all of a sudden you know that song made people realize how much they were, how, what a yearning we had for that real American music a long long time ago I can still remember how that music used to make me smile and I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day The music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry And then good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die Did you write the book of love and do you a bit of a Google and whiskey and rye isn't a drink, it's actually rye whiskey, which by law in the USA needs to be made up of at least 51% rye to qualify. Here's an Aussie whiskey mentioning tune, Kevin Mitchell from Jebediah's Alter Ego, Bob Evans, with sadness and whiskey. I don't want to be a lone guy anymore, now I found a love my life's worth living for, never going back to God knows where I've been That's a dying scene I don't want to be that 
that sentimental guy Always dreaming of the years that passed him by All the time forgetting what he holds on to And for me it's you That's why I'm hanging up my boots This time you know it's true Buddy Steve Shank in America suggested a song by a band that I had never heard with a weird mix of items, but rather than starting the tequila talk with this saxophone-laden piece of poop, tequila. we'll open the tequila batting with a song from 1981 by a band called Riot, Swords and Tequila. Again to Steve for being a Bonza Seppo and having a Captain Cook and proving you are not a halfback flanker or a Rex Hunt but a good China plate. Another great song that has kind of been spoiled by an English band in the 80s, but the original is actually a great, sad and lonely song. And it was released in 1967 by a singer who rarely gets mentioned in The Great Singers, but I love his voice. Neil Diamond, Red Red Wine. It's up to you 
UB40 claiming that Neil Diamond never wrote the song, but I can't find any evidence of that online. So can we thank Richard Branson for UB40's Red Red Wine? Well, I think we can thank Neil Diamond for his actually, apparently. (laughs) But we never knew it was a Neil Diamond song. He can thank the Salvation Army, can't he? Because he bought the rights to that song. Didn't actually write the song himself. So uh, we're paying it forward. (laughs) <laughs> is that true that you guys didn't know that it was a Neil Diamond song? I had no idea. We had no idea. We were covering we were covering a reggae version, a reggae cover of Neil Diamond's song. Uh, had no idea that he that he'd uh, released a, a version of that song. And I was wow. told by a Rolling Stone journalist that he didn't write the song. He actually bought it. Um, it's an old nineteenth um, century temperance song. Yeah. And, uh, wow. and he, he bought it and released it in the 60s. But, uh, yeah, we had no idea about that record at all. Interesting. Yeah, I always thought that Neil Diamond wrote that song. Well, so does wow. everybody else. And Neil Diamond claims, he, he always says, one of my songs, you know. But, uh, yeah, he owns it. <laughs> and, and, this, and this came to you from a Rolling Stone journalist told you that he bought yes. it. Yeah, when I when we were doing, um, wow. we were playing Russia in um, the Soviet Union in before the wall came down, before when the Iron Curtain was still up, eighty mm-hmm. six, um, I think. 86, it was. Yeah. The year of Chernobyl, as it turns out. Yeah, we played yeah. Russia in eighty six, and uh, Rolling Stone was one of the magazines that was there covering it because it was such a big deal uh, for a Western band to be touring in Soviet Russia, you know. Uh, in those days, it was very unusual. And uh, Rolling Stone were there covering it. And the journalist, who shall remain nameless, uh, he <laughs> he told me all sorts of things about uh, the translation and how, how it wasn't, they weren't translating what we were saying in, into Russian. They were making, they had their own agenda. Uh, but he also said to me, did you, did you know that uh, Red Red Wine is actually not a Neil Diamond song? He owns it. He bought it. And he explained all about it to me. And that was the first I knew. Is this Rolling Stone journalist still alive today? If he remains nameless, then oh, I couldn't possibly tell you, could I? <laughs> and if there's one thing that we can all agree on, that has to be that you can trust a nameless journalist. So I'll finish up my deepish dig on booze next week. And if you're in Melbourne, enjoy your freedom. And if you're in Norway, let's get this pot in the charts there. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. And check out the website, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, for all of the songs used in each episode and for all the past episodes. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast. And if you think I've missed anything for next week, you can shoot me a message there and I'll uh, squeeze it in. 
I'm going to finish up this week with a recommendation from the second assistant manager at the Chess Hunt Reject Shop and trainee massage therapist at the Chess Hunt Motorbike, Rollerblade and Dungeons and Dragons team, Diamond Dave Flint, who sent me an appropriate Melbourne song for a sunny day when Melbourne got out of lockdown. And hopefully that's the last of it. The song is called Nice Day to Go to the Pub by the Cosmic Psychos. But I have a band rehearsal I'm looking forward to, but it's still going to be a nice day to go to the pub. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week. Get in the car.